Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, August 22nd, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya's Raila Odinga has to quote today to challenge the August 9th presidential election results. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that without the truth, there can be no justice. And truth is going to be known because we already know it ourselves. And we're going to show it wide and open, starting tomorrow. Campaigning in Angola's August 24th election enters final days. Former Ivory Coast First Lady is elected president of her political party. Somali forces end hotel siege after reported heavy casualties. What lessons can be drawn from the attack? I think the first lesson really is that the president really has to define his security priorities better. The second thing is that we need to work on coordination of our security forces. And the alleged perpetrator of church massacre during Liberia's civil war is ordered to pay millions to survivors. Those stories plus something O'Malley's force are coming up on Daybreak Africa. former Prime Minister Raila Odinga is today Monday petitioning a case in the Supreme Court to challenge the August 9th general election. Odinga and his coalition party Azimio La Umoja won Kenya say they won the presidential elections and were denied victory. Kenya's electoral body declared Deputy President William Ruto the president-elect. Maureen Ojiambo reports. The Azimio La Umoja won Kenya coalition party is headed to the Supreme Court today. It will begin the legal process of challenging the presidential results of the August 9th general elections. Speaking in Nairobi Sunday, the coalition's presidential candidate, former Prime Minister Ilodinga, said they won the vote and that they will not reconcile with their opponents until the court rules on the matter. Let Archbishop Desmond Tutu say that without truth, there can be no justice. Without justice, there can be no peace. Without peace, there can be no reconciliation. There will be no reconciliation, there will be no peace, there will be no justice until truth is known. And truth is going to be known because we already know it ourselves and we are going to show it wide and open starting tomorrow. The coalition says that the just concluded general election is far from over as they are trusting the judiciary to deliver justice on their complaint. Odinga's deputy presidential candidate Martha Karua said that they will not relent until the Supreme Court gives rules on the matter. At the same time, Wiper Democratic Party leader Kalonzo Musioka condemns the postponement of the vote in five electoral seats across the country amid claims of IEBC staff intimidation. He terms it unfair treatment. This general election is not over because what is happening in Mombasa, in Kakamega, and the four constituencies clearly tells Kenyans, and it has never happened before. I've actually run for election many times in our country. I've never seen a situation where the, the body charge the responsibility of conducting a general election ends up short-changing the whole country. On the other hand, the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance, led by President-elect William Ruto, says their win will be upheld. Ruto says their competitors have maintained peace since election results were announced. I truly appreciate that the people of Mount Kenya have taken me as one of their sons. They've stood by me through thick and thin, and they have changed the politics of our country and buried ethnicity in the governance of Kenya. 
According to the Kenyan Constitution, a petition challenging the presidential election results should be filed within seven days from the declaration of the results by the electoral body. Thereafter, the Supreme Court will determine the petition within 14 days from the day it was filed. Odinga rejected the presidential results that declared Ruto the winner. He accused the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, IEBC, of violating the Constitution and electoral laws. Today is the last day for anyone who wants to challenge the presidential election to present their petition. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Jumbo in Nairobi, Kenya. Campaigning in Angola's August 24 parliamentary and presidential election is in its final days. The two main parties are the ruling popular movement for the liberation of Angola, the MPLA, led by President Joao Lorenzo, and the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, led by Adalberto Costa Jr. Meanwhile, the country is mourning the death of longtime President Eduardo dos Santos, whose body arrived in the country over the weekend. Myra Fernandez of VOA's Portuguese service is in Luanda covering Wednesday's elections. She tells me that Angolans are yearning for change. People are excited about the election. They are also tense. They've been talking about their main concerns and what they want to see changed in the country. There's also the fear of fraud again. The civil society has been uh, bringing this uh, question throughout these days. The national observers also, they are very afraid of uh, mechanisms to make uh, these votes kind of not count. In the past week or so, they've came up with this campaign that is called Voting and Seating that um, is asking voters after they vote to stay close by the polling stations and make sure that nobody does anything out of the ordinary. People in general, especially the youth, they are very engaged. They are really hoping for something to change after the 24th. Myra, what do voters think about the campaigns or the candidates, particularly in these days of economic uh, severity? The main issues are health, education, and unemployment. Health is one of the biggest problems that Angola always had. Most of the parties very heavy program on health. Jean Lorenzo is seeking his second term, but he does have a rival that is very popular. People feel that this leader, Adalberto Costa Jr., might really listen to them. Why people told me that is that the list that he's running with involved a lot of independents, involved people that were from the MPLA and the now dissidents, and they are joining UNITA because they are discontent with their party. And there's also a very young group of uh, people running with UNITA for the parliament. And that's why this uh, election feels so competitive. This would be the first election without the shadow or without the former president, President Dos Santos, who ruled the country for 38 years. His body was returned to Angola over the weekend. What impact do you think uh, this might have on Wednesday's election? Uh, that's a very interesting question, James. I did talk with people about it, and actually it's not. Uh, at least with the people that I talked with, 
they don't feel that this is something that would change their minds when they go to the polls on the 24th. They actually feel a bit offended by the fact that this is being done in such a rush manner with almost no official ceremonies. Also, people have now in mind two issues. After voting, they have to prepare themselves for a funeral. Myra, thank you so much. And we look forward to speaking with you again at another day. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Myra Fernandez of VOA's Portuguese service in Luanda covering Wednesday's presidential elections. Somali Federal Police says Sunday that security forces had ended the Mogadishu Hotel siege by the Al-Qaeda-affiliated militant group Al-Shabaab after nearly 30 hours of operations. Officials say more than 20 people were killed in the attack. Mohamed Dias then reports from Mogadishu. At a press conference in Somalia's capital Mogadishu Sunday, Somali Police Chief General Abdi Hassan Hijar said that casualties include civilians and security personnel who were killed in the Al Shabaab complex attack. Civilians and personnel who were killed in the Al Shabaab complex on the Hayat Hotel in the center of the city near Somalia's Criminal Investigation Department headquarters. He said the main focus of the security forces was rescuing trapped civilians after Al-Shabaab fighters targeted the hotel with explosions and stormed the building, followed by a firefight that lasted nearly 30 hours. He says he wants to share with Somali people in the country and abroad that the operations at Hayat Hotel ended at midnight. During the operations, he said, the security forces focused on rescuing and securing the civilians trapped in the hotel, and more than 106 people, including children and women, were rescued. It is shocking that innocent civilians have died there. Dr. Abdulkadir Abdurrahman Adan, the founder of Amin Ambulance, Part of the emergency team involved in taking civilians to hospitals told VOA by phone Sunday that despite difficulties, their team was able to transport wounded people to hospitals for treatment. I mean, ambulance. He says, I mean, picked up 11 wounded people and seven bodies, including men and women. The Al-Qaeda-linked Islamist group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the deadly attack on Hayat Hotel in Mogadishu and claimed it had killed 63 people and wounded 107 others. The attack was made with international condemnation. The United States said it strongly condemned the attack. A statement issued by the U.S. State Department expresses heartfelt condolences to the families who lost loved ones wishes a full recovery to those injured and commends Somali security forces. The statement added that the United States remains steadfast in its support of Somali and African Union-led efforts to counter terrorism and build a secure and prosperous future for the people of Somalia. The Intergovernmental Authority for Development in Eastern Africa, or IGAD, also condemned the attack the attack was the first deadly attack by Al-Shabaab on an upscale target in Mogadishu since Somalia's new president, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, took office in May. Mohamed Daisane for VON News, Mogadishu, Somalia.
You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, August 22nd. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. The Somali government has announced that security forces have ended a 30-hour-long siege by Al-Shabaab militants on the Hyatt Hotel in Mogadishu. This is not the first time Al-Shabaab has raided a hotel, but this was the longest siege on one since the group started complex attacks more than a decade ago. Samira Gaid is the executive director of the Hiral Institute, a Mogadishu-based security think tank. She explains to Makali Harun Maruf of VOA Somali Service why Al-Shabaab might have targeted this specific hotel. This hotel is quite popular with government officials and people allied to the government, and so that's probably why this group targeted this hotel. It's part of their modus operandi, really, to attack hotels and hold them in complex attacks for, uh, for a number of hours. What's only different about this attack is that the government response took long. It's, it's the longest siege that has been had in, in Somalia to date. And why did it take so long to end the siege? There's quite a number of uh, reasons. I think the first one really is there seem to be some changes of command of the operations within the operation. And what I know from experience is when this happens, it sort of stalls the operations. And this gives the group a chance for the individuals who are in the hotel, who are Al-Shabaab, it gives them a chance to either rest or reorganize themselves. There was also questions on whether the command and control of this operation was fully manned by the police, who are usually the first responders, or by the intelligence agency which also has a counter-terrorism unit. So to me it appeared that there were some issues between command and control and coordination of the first responders. Are there any lessons for the government, for the security branches uh, from this attack? I think the first lesson really is that this security vacuum that has existed since this new administration has come into place. I think the president came in, he said the right things, that security was a priority, but the formation of government and the approval of government has taken quite a bit of time. And the first lesson is that the president really has to, you know, define his security priorities better and then rule them out immediately because this seems to be where the gap is at the moment. Uh, the second thing is that we need to work on coordination of our security forces. This is not a new challenge. It's one that has always occurred. And who takes the role and responsibility of first responder? At what point do you change over command? I think that is the second, uh, second lesson that needs to be learned from this. And the last thing is that, you know, we have had these rumors that the security forces, that the, the heads of the security forces will be changed ever since a new government came in. It's very critical that uh, security forces have their confidence of their bosses, of the leaders of the country, and the current situation where the security forces are only waiting to be replaced, I think lengthens that vacuum. And I think that should be a message that security agencies, heads of security agencies, need the confidence of, of the principals. Samira Gaid is the executive director of the Hiral Institute, a Mogadishu-based security think tank. She was speaking from Mogadishu with Harun Maruf of VOA Somali Service. In Ivory Coast, former First Lady Simone Babo was over the weekend elected as president of the political party called the Movement of Capable Generations, or MGC. Babo told the party's assembly in Abidjan that once the party decides on who to be its candidate in the 2025 presidential election, that candidate will fight to win the vote regardless of others who are running. If she runs in 2025, this will set up possible competition between Simone and her former husband and former president, Laurent Babo. 
Blaziri Kruba is a member of the USA coordination of the MGC. He says the party is open to collaboration with other parties or individuals who share the same values. But first, Kruba tells me the MGC is focused on the local elections that are coming up in the next six months. Before 2025, the president of our party informed the entire opinion that the new party is ready to go to any election. So before we reach 2025, in six months, we will have the local elections. So the party is already preparing to have candidates in the entire country. So coming back to 2025, we will advise at the right time who will be the candidate of our new party. If we do have to work with alliances, everything will be decided in a convention. So for now, we are focusing on the local election that is coming up in six months. Simon Babo, speaking to the convention, said that uh, your party is a party of reconciliation. What do you make of the reconciliation effort by President Alassa Ouattara by pardoning former President uh, Babo? Yes, uh, this is party is a party that is working for reconciliation, but it's also a party that's uh, proclaiming values that were lost in Ivorian's daily life. You know that based on the previous uh, unfortunate event, we had uh, many, many, many murders and uh, behaviors that are very much disgrace events. And uh, we think that the new party needs to reboot the new mentality of Ivorians, new way to think, new way to work together, new way to do democracy, a new way to reconcile. So this party has uh, found that it was a room for a new party to come on the scene of Ivorian political party to take his place. So we have a long way to go because we have to transform all the mentality in order to be successful in the entire development of the country. If Simone Babo runs in 2025, she will be competing probably with her former husband. We are not there yet, but she needs to have a stand to speak in the name of her supporters. And the new political party is a stand for her to speak up. So that will be the decision that will be made by the convention. So it's not in terms of uh, the relationship that she has before with X or Y or Z. No, it's about what is the voice she will carry for the entire people of the Ivory Coast. Bladziri Kruba is a member of the USA coordination of former Ivory Coast First Lady Simone Babo's political party, the Movement of Capable Generations, MGC, you're speaking with me from Philadelphia. A U.S. federal court has awarded damages of $84 million to four victims of the Liberian Lutheran Church massacre, an event that took place in July 1990 during the country's long civil war. Last September, the court found guilty Colonel Moses Thomas, then the commander of the Armed Forces of Liberia Elite Special Anti-Terrorist Unit. Thomas, formerly a resident of Pennsylvania, returned to Liberia ahead of the court's decision. As Rita Gilabwe Duo reports from Monrovia, 
lawyers representing the plaintiffs are calling on the Liberian government to help ensure that Thomas pays for his atrocious acts. The St. Peter's massacre was the single worst atrocity of the first Liberian civil conflict. At least 600 unarmed civilians, including women and children, were killed. At a Red Cross shelter in Morovia on July 29, 1990. In 2018, four survivors of the massacre filed a case against Moses Thomas in a Pennsylvania court in the United States. On September 15, 2021, the court found Moses Thomas responsible for the massacre. Following the verdict, Thomas was on Tuesday, August 17, 2022, ordered to pay each survivor $6 million in compensatory damages and $15 million in punitive damages. Nushan Zagarati, a member of the Prosecution Council, says the overwhelming pieces of evidence linking the armed forces of Liberia to the Lutheran Church massacre indicate that victims of the attack are still demanding justice. She says the Liberian government should take steps to prosecute war crimes perpetrators who are residing in the country. This was the first time any member of the armed forces of Liberia has been held accountable for serious human rights abuses during the civil wars, which is a true travesty of justice. The Lutheran Church massacre was one of the worst single episodes of the civil wars, and yet Thomas has never faced punishment. Instead, he was promoted to the head of defense intelligence service after this massacre. Zagarati says she, along with her team of attorneys, will ensure that Thomas pays damages to the victims as ordered by the court. 56-year-old Rufus Carty, another survivor of the Lutheran Church massacre, still suffers wounds he sustained from the massacre 32 years ago. Carty says he doubts if the Liberian government will make Thomas pay for atrocities committed during the massacre. That's because, according to him, a former warlord who was convicted in the U.S. and deported to Liberia for prosecution is currently a member of the House of Parliament. That job only left for that he came, he won election, and he bought the government. Even though the man is guilty, but he in Liberia, so he says, why he in Liberia, he says. Up to the time of this report, Moses Thomas has not made any comment on the matter despite efforts by the VOA to reach him. This is Rita Jrabwe-Duo for VOA News in Morovia, Liberia. It's now known for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with Anthony Joshua, British Nigerian boxer who on Saturday in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, fought back tears after a narrow loss to Ukrainian Alexander Uzik. Uzik in an highly anticipated rematch beat Joshua on split decision to retain the IBO, IBF, WBA and WBO heavyweight title. A rattled Joshua at a post-fight press conference was in tears as he explained the bitter loss and his furious actions after the bout. I tried a different style. Well, previously in my career, through the sport of boxing, like what got me through in my early days when I was beating people that I shouldn't have been beating. For example, I was an amateur for three years. I was beating guys based off of sheer hunger and passion. So just in the last fight, I wanted to compete and improve myself as a boxer. And it wasn't good enough. Tonight wasn't good enough. But you can see I 
I adapted, I made the changes needed to give him a more competitive fight. And now to mixed martial arts, where Britain Leon Edwards pulled off a fifth-round head kick knockout to dethrone Nigeria's Kamaru Usman and win the Ultimate Fighting Championship UFC welterweight title at UFC 278. The win for Edwards in Salt Lake City, U.S. on Saturday was one of the greatest comebacks in mixed martial arts history. The 30-year-old Jamaican-born British fighter looked to be headed for a defeat on the judges' scorecards, but then faked a jab with his left hand and then landed a left foot kick to the head of the Nigerian to claim the welterweight title. Edwards, in his post-match conference, said he deserved the belts. He is good, you know, um, but I believe that I was a better man and even though that was one of my worst, my worst performances, he's got a clean finish. In football news, two of Africa's representatives at the 2022 World Cup, Ghana and Tunisia, will play five-time world champions Brazil in friendlies next month. The two countries have lined up the warm-up marches against the South American country to help them prepare for the tournament to be played in Qatar in November. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James.